You're listening to the weekly podcast of the services at Stonegate Fellowship Church in Midland, Texas. For more information about Stonegate, visit StonegateFellowship.com. Hey, well, welcome. We're gl- glad you guys are here. There's this energy and, and uh, man, it's amazing what offering donuts will do and bringing guys out. But I know some of you have been asking for a while, when are we starting? When are we starting? So we're glad to be back. And um, I proverbial, proverbially drew the short straw. So I'm opening up this, this session and for a couple of weeks. And then uh, the rest of the guys will kick in like they usually do. But we are really glad that you're here. Um, got some business to take care of. And, um, and then I have a plan for the rest of the morning, and so hope it goes well. On the table in front of you, there's a couple of things. One is the little cards that say SGM, SG Men on them, and there's not enough there for everybody because not everybody needs them. I only, those are specifically, if you are not on our emailing list so that you, don't, you do not get the emails that say, hey, men's Bible study starting, or this is the next event we've got going on, it's an email list for interest in the things that we're doing here is that spe- specifically have to do with men. And so I will only put a couple on the table because the vast majority of you are already on the list. But if you're not and you want to be on that list so that you're in the communication uh, web, if you will, then please fill that out. Just leave it on the table. I'll pick it up when we go. And um, I know not every one of you come here to Stonegate, but understand that... Two things. One, we're not trying to steal you from where you go. You know, praise God, you're in a place and you love it and you come here for this Wednesday morning donut thing. Awesome. Um, But if you would like to be involved in some of the things that we do, you're more than welcome also. You do not have to be a member here or, or anything like that to participate in some of the events that we do. And so we're just letting you know that they're there. And again, there's no pressure. You do not have to fill that card out. But if you want to know what's happening, please do. The other thing that's there is, uh, for those of you guys that know me, this is a standard with me. It is a, um, the armor of God prayer that we've developed out of Ephesians chapter 6 that talks about the armor of God that we're supposed to put on. And, but we've broken it down and made it into a prayer that makes sense to you so that when you put your helmet on, you realize you're asking God to protect your mind and you go down through the whole armor, protect my heart, help me to use my sword properly, help me to use my shield properly and, and all that kind of stuff. And so those are sticky backs. There's one for everybody and you're welcome to have more. I have uh, literally Adrian makes me hundreds of these at a time. Because every time I get an opportunity to be in front of a group of men and even couples when we do our love and war classes, we're giving these out. Because if it wasn't important for us to be prepared for the things that are coming at us, then God wouldn't have given it to us. But he gave us the armor because he said, you are living in a battle, you are living in a war zone, so what you need to do is protect yourself so that you can stand when the attacks come at you because they will come. And we'll only be ignorant if we think, nah, I don't need it. The attacks aren't going to come at me. You're ignorant. Okay? In love, I say that. So this is just a tool to help you remember each and every day before you leave the house. At the very least, you're armored up and you're protected in some way. And so those are there for you. And if you want more for friends or your office or your truck or uh, wherever you read things, uh, we'll be happy to give you them. Again, like I said, I just say, Adrian, make me a couple hundred more. And I don't know how many thousand she's made over the last couple of years. 
All right, I am going to put these on the floor as I've done in the past. We have two big, you know, we do a lot of uh, going after men's heart stuff around here. We do a Wild at Heart class that we just started last night. And uh, we do a couple of boot camps a year, which means we get men away for a weekend, about 35 men at a time. We go down to Hunt, Texas, to Mo Ranch, and it is a crash course in the heart of a man and how to live in this world that God created and, and how he's created us and what our hearts are for and how we're supposed to live. And so it's an invitation. It's a flyer. I didn't put them out for everybody because most of you, a vast majority of you guys are going to be saying, like, okay, I don't, I don't need that. I don't want that or whatever. But if you're interested at all, there's, there's a percentage of you guys that have already been to our boot camps and, and it, they are... I can say this, a life-changing event. For so many men, they walk in seeing things a certain way and walk out seeing things differently. And their wives come up to me and say, I don't know what you did to my husband over the weekend, but he's a different man and he's on a different path. He's never, ever prayed with our family before. He's never, ever come home and wanted to lead us spiritually before. And, um, and it happens all the time. And so our next boot camp is in November and so the flyer is here for that. I'm just going to throw it down there. You remember to pick it up afterwards. And then we've been doing that one boot camp for a few years now. And um, this one is, this next one is an advanced boot camp. These are both taken from Ransom Heart Ministries, John Elders, the whole Wild at Heart deal that they do in Colorado. These are live events that are DVD'd. You can pay a whole bunch of money to go to them in Colorado, get in the lottery, get chosen, uh, pay a bunch of money to get there. They're wonderful, 400 men at a time. We do them in a much smaller venue with their, not just their permission, but their blessing. Go and do these, these events in a smaller venue. And so they also not just have the basic boot camp, but if you've already been to basic, they have an advanced boot camp, which takes you a little deeper. So to go to advanced, you have to have already gone to our regular boot camp at least one time. I'm going to put that flyer there. We're going to be doing that in February. And so uh, one more announcement, and then you'll be, I'll be done with that. And uh, I know you didn't come here for announcements, but it's the beginning of the year, right? So there's stuff that I have to tell you, and I have an opportunity because I have the platform today to, to tell you that. And um, I do not have to say, hey, will you mention this? Um, this is my heartbeat. This is what I do here. I do men's ministry. And, and now we're venturing off. We're doing a lot more with marriages and that sort of thing. Uh, and there's other things that I do, just normal pastoral stuff. But my heartbeat is for men and for marriages, and they go together, right? If I can help you be strong, then you'll be a better leader at home. And then your family will be stronger. And that's what it's about, because the attack is coming after us men. It comes after our families, because our marriages are a picture of a relationship that God wants to have with us. Right, This intimate relationship, two becoming one. That's what we're supposed to be doing here on earth. And um, I don't know a lot of your stories, but I just know percentage-wise, a lot of couples just live in their households and they're not becoming one. They're just putting up with each other. And we want to change that. It doesn't have to be that way. So the last thing I have for you, and, and it'll just take me just a couple of seconds, is we're about to kick off our flag football league again this year. I mentioned this to you last year. It happens every year. We, we take about 800 men from the Permian Basin. When we advertise play on our team, we field about three teams from Stonegate. 
The other 50 teams or so that we field are just roughnecks from the Permian Basin. They build a team and they come and play. We are the only flag football team in the Permian Basin, only flag football league. And we actually run the league for the community, all right? Which is sometimes you guys don't even realize that there's some 800 men that come and play in this league. And we continue to try to figure out what are ways that we can work in to be, get involved in these men's lives and these families, at least let them know that, hey, we're here for you. You're out there working in this and you have issues here, but we're here for you. We care about you. And so we're going to try this again this year. We're going to do it a little bit different thing. What I'm asking for, and this is something you don't need to sign up. You can see myself. You can see Dale. Raise your hand, Dale. At the end, you can see Eric sitting right next to him when we're done today. We have four things that we do during the whole season we call a palooza. It's a Saturday morning. It's a Saturday during the day, and, and we serve food out there on the field while the guys are all playing, and it's free food. We have a jumper for their kids. And what we're looking for are a few men to be walking around during those times, those three or so hours on a Saturday, with a shirt that just says prayer guy or whatever, and opening yourself up to be able to walk to, through these teams and say, hey, man, is there anybody need prayer for anything? It's that simple. We're not asking you to stalk people, to follow them around, to be at every game. We're asking you to show up four times, or maybe you show up one time, and we have enough guys to, to rally through all four of these, and all, you're, all we're asking you to do is find and see if anybody needs prayer. If you come up empty, fine, but I'm telling you, these guys will turn around and say, yeah, man, my marriage is not going so good right now, or work, or this or that. And so if you're interested in doing that at all, it might be a two-hour commitment or a three-hour commitment all football season. That's all we're asking. Um, see myself, see Dale, see Eric at the end. And that's enough for the announcements. I am glad that you guys are here. And I want to do this thing this morning prior to this study. And it, it um, well, it, it, it could be created. We'll see how it goes. Uh, could be different for you. As I was pulling this, my notes together, I really felt and urged that the beginning of the year, what I really want to do is pray over you guys as a group. And I, I wrote down a list uh, of just so many things that I felt were needs in all of our lives. And so for some of you, if you're not awake yet, man, do your best not to fall asleep on me because I think it's going to take a couple of minutes. For the others, take a, you know, just relax and just let me ask God for these things over your lives, and then we'll get into our study this morning. We'll have you out of here before you know it. And so let's do this. Let's go and pray together. Um, but actually, I'm going to pray over you, so you just be calm. You don't even worry about, just sit there and let this rest on you. Well, Jesus, we come this morning, and we invite you in to this time together with us. We invite you, we ask you to meet with us in a special way. And Lord, I pray for each man that's here today in the roles that they live. They are, they are single men, they are husbands, they are fathers, they are stepfathers, they are grandfathers, um, they are friends to people and, and they hold job titles all over the place from CEO to doctor to laborer. And, 
And uh, we want to ask for you to invade their lives. We want to ask for you to give them strength. I want you to give them strength of mind. I'm asking that you give them strength of mind and that covers their thoughts and their ideas as they walk forward. That you give them strength of heart as they deal with desires and emotions that are in their lives or that will come in their lives. I want to ask for you to give them strength of spirit in their intimacy with you that they would push into their relationship with you and, and that you would make yourself known in such a, such a personal way to them. I want to ask for you to give them strength of body, give them endurance, give them healing, give them health as they walk forward that they might be an example to others of, of in that way of how we're supposed to live. I also pray for wisdom for them, for the decisions that they need to make each day as far as their work goes, as far as their home and their finances and their relationships and, and literally a thousand daily choices that we make that they would choose wisely uh, these decisions. I ask for you to give them courage today. And not just today, but as they go forward to do right in a world that's gone wrong in so many ways. To stand even if they have to stand alone to be willing to fight when it's needed to fight, to listen when they need to listen, and to change when they need to change, to ask for help when help is needed, and then not be too proud to do so. For their work, I pray, Lord, that it would be profitable for them. I pray that it might just be also just a piece of the bigger picture and not all-consuming, that there'd be balance there in their work, that they would find purpose in what they do and not just be doing it for a paycheck, and may they do it for you. Whatever it is that they do, may they find purpose. May they realize you have put them in this place on purpose. It's not a mistake. And you have a plan and may they begin to ask questions about why am I here and what am I supposed to be doing aside from making money? If they lead people, may they do it with care and compassion. And in their homes, Father, we ask that may, these, may they be men of love and strength that are present in their homes. And may their wives and their children feel loved and cared for and protected. And may they truly lead by example and not just words, not just do as I say, but watch me. May there be forgiveness and healing when it's needed. May the words, I love you, I'm sorry, I forgive you, flow from their mouths easily. May you bring encouragement and new beginning where those things are needed. And may you go before them all and continue to teach them how to love like you do, that unconditional love that is so far generally from the way that we love. And then in their relationship with you, may they truly know who they are in you. A son, not just a servant, but a son. And may they not just understand that they are a son, but that they are a beloved son, that they are the apple of your eye. You care so deeply about them as men and as your, as your children. May they feel your pleasure with them. 
And may they be confident in you knowing you are for them, that you are there for them. May they know that they can trust you with everything, absolutely everything, including their very lives. And therefore, they do not have to fear the future because they are not alone regardless of what anyone says. They are not in this by themselves and they do not have to control it. And the truth is they cannot control it. May they break, well, may they understand and then begin to break all agreements with Satan and the lies that he's thrown at them. Lies about their hearts and who they are, who they believe they are. Lies about their abilities and their value in this world. Lies about their future and, and every other lie that they might be, believe right now and be living out of. May they repent wherever it is needed. Just turn around and head the other way. And may they live free in you in the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in them. May you shine through them and use them for your purpose so that they make a difference. And then may they, may they know that they are valuable to you in your kingdom. And so, Father, lastly, you are wonderful. Thank you. Help us all to remember that this is your story. And you have invited us to play a part in your story. It is not about us. But at the same time, we are crucial to your story. You have made us important. You've given us roles to play that mean something. But it is not about us. Forgive us all for the areas where we have failed and renew our hearts fresh and new and encourage us to press on. May this morning be a fresh start, a line in the sand, a new beginning for us all. We love you. We need you. We ask for your protection as we walk forward with you. May we daily suit up with your armor. We ask all this in the all-powerful name of our Lord and Savior and Brother, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right. Philippians chapter 2, we're not going to be there. We're actually going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 13. But Philippians chapter 2 tells me that I am to work out my own salvation. And by work out my own salvation, God is not saying you need to work for your salvation. What he's saying is that we are all slightly different. And so our walks with God are all going to look a little bit different, although they all might look similar in some ways. But because we're different, we have to do, we're all going to be doing things uh, a little bit individually. Just like at home, if you have two or three or four children, you have already realized, because you've asked yourself this question, you know, what have we done here? You've asked your, you've realized that you can have two or three or four children and they grow up in the same home with the same parents in the same uh, situation pretty much. And although they will be similar in some areas, they'll be vastly different. And you look and say, I don't know how, how can this kid be like this and this one be like this and there's nothing bad about it. They're just so different and you blame it on your wife, right? It's your fault that, that he or she's that way. Um, but the truth of the matter is that is the way it is in our walk with God. We are all going to be similar, but he asks us to all seek it out, what it means for us to individually walk with him in our relationship with him, because it's all going to look a little bit different. 
So I don't know what that looks like for you, what you do in your walk with Christ that, is, that um, makes it different from somebody else's. For me, one of the things that I do is I, I have over the years found books that speak to me in a, in a very strong way. And I read them and I reread them on a regular basis. I go back through them. I have almost a rotation. It's not super organized. It is just I read this, I finish it, I grab the next one. Because aside from the scriptures and aside from meeting with my friends and doing classes and this and that, there's still a hole inside of me that I need to fill, that I need to be reminded of. Oh yeah, that, that's true. That yes, that yes, that's a good thing that, that fills me. And so it's gonna be different for each and every one of us, but we need to be finding things that fill us, okay? And I'm telling you all that to just say, just a couple weeks ago, I started rereading a book that I read years ago. Uh, it was called um, Seizing Your Divine Moment. It's by Erwin McManus. He's a pastor in LA. He's the guy that wrote Barbarian Way. Uh, if you've read that or not read that, and this is not a commercial for him, but right now the book, they change the name as they often do. It's called Chasing Daylight. And as I um, began to read that, again, it's one of those books where I take a deep breath and I'm like, oh, yes. It reminds me to push forward. What are the good things? What are the things that are solid? What are the things that are worth fighting for? And, and then giving me courage to press forward because I don't know about you, but a lot of days I just kind of get like, man, well, how long, much longer I can do this? You know, it all kind of piles on. And then, you, and then I begin to read and I'm like, oh yes, I'm reminded that there is a God who loves me and there's power and there's strength. And so as I was reading this last couple of weeks, you know, it's, from, it's an older book as most of mine are from 02. Uh, we, I think we sell it in the bookstore if you're interested at all or whatever, but it's, it's just something that speaks to me. And so I've learned over the years that I personally must do that. Seek out those things to strengthen myself in the Lord. Because if you are counting on even your pastor or the guys you walk with or everybody to fill those needs to strengthen you, you're, you're not gonna get it. You'll get some. If it's Sunday and you come and you say, Sunday's great, I love Sunday, and I get filled wherever you go, and then you go home for the rest of the week and you don't do anything else that strengthens you, you're, you're not gonna walk in victory. And so anyway, I tell you all that to just say I'm reading this book and he, and he references a story out of the scripture in 1 Samuel 13 that we're going to walk through today in the next 20 or 25 minutes and um, because there was a verse in there that just ding, ding, the lights went off and I'm like, yes, that, that's the guy I want to be and it's a reminder of how God works and so I'll bring you up to speed, 1 Samuel 13, you can turn there. The setting is Israel and the Philistines are at war. Saul is king at this time. Saul's the first king that Israel had and, and God reluctantly made him king because they whined all the time. That's how they got a lot of stuff. They were, you know, as I, I don't want to pick on them too much because I could probably be thrown into their group but a bunch of whiners, right? That's how they, you know, God, we want a king. God's like, no, I'm your king. I'm your king. No, we want a king like everybody else. And God's like, oh man, not the best decision, people. 
but okay. I mean, he does that to us, right? He'll say, well, God, I want this. Nah, you really don't want that. But as we press in, he's like, okay. Go for it. I'm here for you when you realize that was a bad choice. But anyway, so Saul is the king, and, and he ruled for, you know, 40-some years. Um, but we're going to pick up, and, and, but like I said, it's a time when Israel and the Philistines are at war. And we're going to pick up in 13. And really what I'm going to do is going to read quite a few of these verses as we look at the story together. I hope the story comes together and then we'll pick up the key verses. But I hope you, um, hopefully I can make it so that you can see what all is happening here. And so it says, starting in verse 1, it says, Saul was 30 years old when he began to reign. He reigned for 42 years over Israel. Now Saul, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel, of which 2,000 were with Saul in Mishmash, in the hill country in Beth, of Bethel, while 1,000 were with Jonathan, that's his son, at Gibeah of Benjamin. But he sent away the rest of the people. So Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and, and the Philistines heard of it, and Saul blew the trumpet throughout the land saying, yay, let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard the news that Saul had smitten the garrison. I'm thinking, well, that Saul got the credit, even though Jonathan did the job. Um, that happens all the time, doesn't it? Um, and also Israel had become odious to the Philistines. The people were summoned to Saul at Gilgal. So Jonathan steps out, wins a battle. Israel's on a roll in a sense. But now the Philistines, in verse 5, they begin to, you know, say, whoa, this is serious. They assembled to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people like the sand, which is on the seashore in abundance. And they came up and they camped at Mishmash east of Beth Haven. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, now they had just won this small victory through Jonathan, but when the men of Israel saw what was going on, the people were hard-pressed. Then the people of Israel hid themselves in caves and thickets and cliffs and cellars and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan, heading in the other direction, away from this actually, into the land of Gad and Gilead. But as for Saul, he was in Gilgal and all the people followed him trembling. So they are looking at what Philistines are doing and they're beginning to get afraid because they're severely outnumbered. Now he, Saul, waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel, the prophet. Samuel said, hey, I'm going to come in a week and I'm going to offer the sacrifice and you'll be good. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal after the seven days and the people were scattering from him. So Saul's there beginning to be impatient and to begin to worry because Samuel didn't show up. So Saul says, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering, which was not his job. He was a king, not a priest. He shouldn't, he shouldn't have never done that. But it came as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering that behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. But Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattering from me and you did not come within the appointed days and that the Philistines were assembling at Mishmash, therefore I said, now the Philistines will come down against me I have not asked the Lord's favor, so I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment. Man, you didn't pay attention. 
of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord, I mean, this is crucial, this one mistake. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, which turns out to be David. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over the people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. That one instant, the kingdom is taken away from him. Then Samuel rose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin and Saul numbered the people who were present with him, now about 600. It was 2,000 at the beginning of the chapter and now it's about 600 men. Now Saul and his son Jonathan and the people who were present with them were staying in Geba of Benjamin with the Philistines camped at Mishmash. I hope you're getting a picture, a visual of what's going on. Now, and the raiders came, the Philistine raiders came from the camp of the Philistines in three companies. And they sort of, if you look on a map, they kind of did a, I'm going to go here, one group's going to go here, one group's going to go here, one group's going to kind of go here to somewhat surround them in some ways. Um, As he says in verse 17 and 18, and then it goes on in 19 through 21 to just explain that the Philistines had control over all the weaponry. In fact, if if, uh, the Israelites even needed a, a gardening tool sharpened, they had to go to the Philistines. And if it looked anything like it could have been a tool for war, that the Philistines would charge them two or three times what it cost to just go ahead and sharpen a hoe so they could garden or whatever. But it's letting us know that because the next sentence lets us know that um, there was only two swords in the whole army of Israel. One of them Saul had and one of them Jonathan had. So it came about in verse 22, it came about in the day of battle that neither sword nor spear was found in the hands of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they were found with Saul and his son Jonathan. All right, so now chapter 14. Now the day came that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who was carrying his armor, come and let us cross over to the Philistines, garrison that is on the other side. But he didn't tell his father what he was thinking. Crucial verse here. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which is in Migron, and the people who were with him were about 600 men. So we've got these guys in separate areas. Jonathan's over here with his armor bearer and a sword. Saul's over here with the remainder of the men, about 600 men, and Saul's sitting under a pomegranate tree. And I can only imagine after these events that have just happened, what because I like to project into what these guys are feeling all the time. When I look at these stories, I try to remember that they're real men. I believe that they're real men. I don't believe these are just things that were made up and these guys didn't really exist. I believe that they did. And so therefore they had things going on inside. Saul sitting under a pomegranate tree, probably like Elijah did a long time ago and said, God, why don't you just kill me? You know, I, I messed up bad that you've taken the kingdom away from me. And uh, even though we had a small victory, now then I, I went and I, um, I sort of stepped out to do what I thought I was supposed to do. And man, did you slap my hand? And so now I don't know what to do. And so I look at this and I feel like Saul is crippled by his, what has just happened. To the sense of where, even though it is clear that, man, he's got to do something, he's the leader, he's the king, 
he's sitting under a pomegranate tree and he's not doing diddly. In fact, if I would project, you know, that what he's feeling is that he's afraid and intimidated and I just don't know. Last time I stepped out and it was real recent, the scars real fresh, man, I messed up bad. So I'm a little bit nervous about what I'm supposed to do, even in the midst of this being eminent, right? It's going to happen. Something's going to happen and it's going to happen soon. But he's sitting there and he's not doing anything. And so if you turn over to, to um, chapter, or verse 6, in that same chapter, you find the key verse here, to me anyway. And this is about Jonathan. And Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, again, come, let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. I don't know why that's always a big deal, but that's how they always seem to talk about these Philistines. I guess it's a, a real derogatory comment. Um, but let's cross over the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us. For the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. Now we're going to continue to read on, but I'm here to tell you that something's different in the heart of Jonathan than, than I perceive is in the heart of Saul right now. I see Saul, like I said, it's my opinion, what I'm reading into Saul's heart right now, but I believe there's fear, there's intimidation, there's all that stuff, and he's sitting there and he's saying, I man, I just don't know. But Jonathan, who had just, he's the one who won that victory, right? It, Saul got the credit, yeah, Saul won, but it was really Jonathan with the blood on his face. And Saul got the credit. Saul's the one who gets the credit also for messing up, but Jonathan's sitting there saying, man, We've done this before. We have done this. Let's, I, I love, here's, this is the part I love. Come, let us cross over to these guys. Perhaps the Lord will work for us because God is big enough to save by many or by few. But this faith and this confidence that he has inside of him is, is very inspiring to me where he just looks and says, Let's go. Maybe God will be on our side. But let's do something. Let's, let's step into it. Let's not just let fear and caution. And, you know, I'm not a guy who just says, let's go jump off of every cliff. You know, you, we need to think about things and we need to be cautious. I'm not talking about being irresponsible. I know it's so easy to go from this point over to here and say, well, dang, I can do anything. I'm not talking about being irresponsible because you're going to see that somehow he gets an answer from God. It doesn't tell us about the conversation he has with God, but we're going to read about he's got confidence. But I love what he, the, the idea of saying, let's, let's go and let's see by our going if God will not be on our side because God can He's able, and that's what I mean. This is the stuff that encourages me to say, oh, forget about what all is going on. God can, God can do this, but he's not going to do it if I just sit there and I won't trust him, right? So we continue to read, and his armor bearer said, dude, we didn't really say that, but he said, do all that's in your heart. Turn yourself, and here I am, for you, with you, according to your desire. And Jonathan said this, we will cross over to the men and reveal ourselves to them. 
And if they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has given them into our hands and this shall be the sign to us. It's real easy to blow over verse 10 without stepping for a second and saying, well, where'd he come up with that thought? Somewhere in here, but he had been asking God, right? That's not too far of a stretch for him to be able to come out and say, wait a second, okay. You know, he doesn't say, this is what I heard from God, but he implies it very strongly that God said, hey, if they do this, you're, you're up the creek without a paddle, okay? But if they do this, I'm giving them into your hands. Because he, this is the sign that God is going to do something for us. And so he steps out with the question, and the question is just, okay, well here, I'm, I'm, ste- I'm taking that risk to ask the question and then to find out. And if they said, you know, don't come up, then they probably would have stayed there for a while and then hightailed in the other direction out of wisdom. But no, the sign that God gave them was, no, if they say come up to us, God's given us this sign, so let's do it. So both of them revealed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. The Philistines said, behold, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves because they watched them. They were afraid. So the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearers and said, come up, come up to us and we will tell you something. You know, I don't know what they really said, but the whole idea is, yeah, come up here. Come on, we got something for you. Let me show you what we got for you. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me for the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. I love that. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet because it says in another part of the scripture that there was these, these uh, I mean, it was in this mountainous area and on both sides. He climbed up with his hands and feet and his armor bearer behind him and they fell, talking about the Philistines before Jonathan and his armor bearer put some to death after him. The first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made after they climbed up to the top, right? So these guys are standing there waiting for him. They climb up. I don't know if you ever climbed much or walked upstairs, right? For some of you guys, you you get up there and you're like, wait a second, let me catch my breath. But these guys not only climb up, but then they whip some tail while they're up there, okay? The slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was 20 men in about a half a furrow in in an acre of land. And now all of a sudden, there was this trembling in the camp, talking about the Philistines camp, in the field and among all the people, even the garrison and the raiders trembled and the earth quaked so that it began, became a great trembling. And down in verse 20, it says, and Saul, when, then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and came to the battle and behold, every man's sword Crucial verse, talking about the Philistines. Saul walks in. Well, let me back up. Jonathan, they kill 20 guys, and all of a sudden, God sends an earthquake. And there's this trembling in the ground, in the land. There's also this trembling inside. These guys are saying, oh my, what has just happened? And you can tell that because in verse 20, all of a sudden, Saul sees, oh, something good's happening. Let's, let's jump in. It's safe now. But then we see that it says, again, another critical in verse 20, where it says, every man's sword 
was against his fellow and there was very great confusion in the army of the Philistines. Come up here, we got something for you. They come up and they whoop them and the next thing you know, God intervenes. And the next thing you know, the Philistines are so confused that they're fighting each other. And then it says in verse 23, so the Lord delivered Israel that day and the battle spread beyond. And so as I think about this whole story, you know, this, you know, Saul's outnumbered, Saul's afraid and maybe apprehensive to do anything, you know, because of his latest screw up, if you will. He's sitting under a pomegranate tree doing nothing, but his son Jonathan says, wait a second. We've just won this. God, you are for us. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. And because of his courage and his faith in the Lord and this, and this, and this um, relationship that he has, he comes up with this thing. Come, let's go and let's see if, God, if the Lord will work for us. And you know what? The Lord does work for them. The Lord does and God shows up and there's this earthquake and the Philistines don't know what's happening and they turn on each other. You couldn't, you couldn't script that better. And so I'm saying all that to, to ask this question. You know, there's in this great confusion, but the question is, is probably obvious. What would have happened if Jonathan didn't do anything either? If he just looked and said, well, we're not doing anything. The boss said, nah, we're not doing anything because the boss got issues right now. But Jonathan looks and says, no, we, we can do this. And he seeks God. And, but what if he didn't? What would have happened? And, and I have one word for what, what would have happened. Nothing. Or maybe worse, maybe the Philistines would have caught up to those guys being completely outnumbered and tromped over them. But God said, no. Go, I will be with you by few or by many. Okay, there's only a couple of you, but a couple of you can get this thing started. Step, be faithful and get this thing started and then give me something to work with. If you just sit there, then I've got nothing to work with. So trust me, I'm here for you. I love you. Let's do this thing. And then we see God come through and it's, it's battles that are won. And so there's a quote from the book that I wrote down. I want to read it to you. It's absolutely amazing. And then I have a less than three minute clip that I think you're going to find really cool. But it's all about risk and courage. And this is, this is a quote from the book that I just told you about. He says, risk all you have for all that could be. The greatest danger that success brings, aside from arrogance is the fear to lose what has been gained. Risk all you have for all that could be. The greatest danger that success brings, love this, aside from arrogance, you're gonna be successful, you're probably gonna be arrogant. But aside from that is a fear of losing what you have gained. And man, how many of us does that fear stifle us from moving forward. God, we've watched God do awesome things in our lives, but now we're comfortable. I'm guilty. Not so sure I want to lose all this, right? There was a time maybe when it didn't matter, throwing us all under the bus, but maybe now it's a time where we're not so sure, but maybe we need to get back to saying, 
Okay, Lord, maybe you'll, I'm going to step out. Maybe you'll be with me. He knew God was going to be with him because he had prayed and he had gone forward. So we're going to show you this, this clip. I think um, it's, it's an amazing clip um, about how these guys get their lunch. I think it's really, I think you're going to say, wow. They're up against 15 hungry lions. But if they act as one, they might just intimidate the lions and push them off their kill. They make their move. Self-confidence is everything. This is the ultimate face-off. Suddenly, the lions back off. Rakita has just minutes before the lions realize it's a bluff. In a matter of seconds, he butchers the haunch of the wildebeest and they beat a hasty retreat. <laughs> This is a scene which has played out throughout human existence. Hunters using brains, not brawn, to outwit their mighty competitors. <laughs> not everybody fights lions. Some people are cowards. It's an amazing clip. And um, I don't know what that means to you, but I know that, man, I don't... I want to be that guy that steps out. I want to be that guy that trusts God to do whatever he wants to do in my life, and I don't want to be afraid. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you again. Thank you for these men, and as we ask your blessing on them today, we continue to just ask that you do whatever it is that you want to do, that they be, allow you to do whatever it is that you want to do in their lives, so you've made them for a purpose. And may we all find that purpose and live in it. Please give us a good day today where we make a difference in your name. Amen. All right, we'll see you next week. Thank you, gentlemen.